It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I cannot speak about Jesus in a casual way. I cannot think about you who are listening in a casual way. My heart has been so burdened and so heavy because I see such bitterness and anger and fighting and lust for the world, lust for darkness. It's as though the world we live in has gone morally insane. I'm troubled by what I see and what I hear and the lack of concern for the things of Jesus. I decided because of these issues, I needed to take some days just to fast and pray. And so I've done that. And then last week, as I began to come off of that long fast, I lost my voice. So I've had even more time to just wait before the Lord and hear His heart. For that's all that really matters to me, is the heart of Jesus. I'm not willing to speak in a way that will cause men and women, cause you, to be comforted in your sin. What we're dealing with is so so urgent, so necessary. A man can come into the house of the Lord. He can pray a very religious prayer. And then he can walk out of that service of prayer and that service of worship, get in the car, and begin screaming at his wife, insulting. Or she can begin to say, you never do what I want you to do. You never are willing to love me the way I need to be loved. And on and on the wicked words flow. I want to shout to them. God says, be still and know that I am God. But the words keep flowing and the the anger keeps flowing and the, the lust for things of darkness keeps rising up. If we keep biting and devouring, one another, you'll destroy each other. You'll destroy your marriage. You'll destroy your life. Aren't we at a place where we can clearly see the reality of the separation between wickedness and righteousness? I look at those considered heroes in our culture today, football players, baseball players, 
Adele, Beyonce, other actors and actresses. I look at them and they look to me like members of a freak show. The way they dress, the way they act, the way they speak. I see the whole progressive left as a demonic freak show. I'm troubled. And then I see on the right men and women whose hearts are filled with hatred. Whose hearts are filled with condemnation, bitterness. What are we going to do? Well, the scriptures say, 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 24. Do you not know that the ones running in the arena? All run, but one receives the prize. So you must strive that you may win. If you are going to win heaven, my brother, if you're going to win the heart of Jesus, my sister, you are going to have to have a single, a single focus. And everything that slows you down, everything that pulls you aside, has to be let go of. There is only one important issue, and that is to strive in this race between heaven and hell that you might win the race. Now, you've heard me say many times, the race is won by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And God comes through Jesus Christ and circumcises our hearts and removes the sin. Then what is this striving? Well, this striving is to choose to cut off the casualness and the entertainment of this world and be singularly focused on the person of Jesus Christ. He is to be our food and our drink. He is to be our source of nourishment and strength. Anything else will lead us away from our salvation. He continues, and everyone competing in a contest exercises self-control in all things. I spoke with a person just recently, and they said, I'm going on vacation. Or I thought I was. I said, what do you mean? Well, I want to go to the Daytona 500 race. But my husband doesn't want to go. And so I've said to him, then I'll go alone. 
And he said, I don't think that's a good idea because most of the people who go to the Daytona 500 race are not a very good caliber of person. So he's asked her, please don't go by yourself. I was shocked. For this is a a person who, to every outward observance, would be a wonderful Christian woman. But her heart is given to racing. The excitement, the crowds, the event. This person has a, a divided interest. It's as though I can participate in the sporting events of our day. I can participate in the things of the world. And I still can call myself a Christian. Don't you understand? We're not special. What's happening in our culture has happened many times before. It happened in Rome with the chariot races. It happened in Rome with the Colosseum, the big events, the battles. Even filling it with water and having ships sail and and fight one another. All kinds of wonderful circus and entertainment and free food at the circus. There's nothing special today about the struggle that you have to give yourself totally to Jesus Christ. This is common to all men and all women of every age. Now, granted, every age has not had the intimate temptations of the Internet and television. You can, with a couple clicks on the Internet, be into a pornography site. When I was a young man, if you wanted pornography, you had to go to the drugstore and buy a a plain brown paper magazine and be very ashamed because you were buying it. Obviously, I didn't do that. But you hear what I'm saying. Today, it's readily available. There's nothing new, however, in the temptation of our lust and our love of this world and our desire to please ourselves. I am utterly shocked by the constant level of self-indulgence I observe, especially when I begin to receive texts and phone calls from people who are so full of themselves, they just overflow with them. And I finally said to one, please just be still. And know that he is God. Be quiet. I found myself in a prayer meeting 
where I finally had to say to the whole group of people, Would you all please just shut up? Would you be quiet? Stop. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're so full of the casual. We're so full of the common. We're so devoid of the Spirit of God. So devoid of the urgency to seek after Jesus Christ. And then we wonder why our prayers are not answered. We wonder, why doesn't God do what I ask him to do? Well, probably because you're too far from God. He continues, Those men do it, that is, run the race, so that they may receive a perishable crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run as not without a definite goal. So I fight as not beating the air. Do you have a definite goal in your home? In your family? I have lived long enough to watch as couples have children. And then these children, they afford them every opportunity to be involved in all of the extracurricular activities of our culture. The ballet dance, the soccer, the baseball. And so mom is constantly driving, taking the kids to all of these different events. And they move on into high school and then college. And then they leave the faith. They don't follow Jesus. And we say, why? What happened? We were a Christian home. We prayed together. We, we went to church. Oh, you fed them a diet of the world, not of Jesus. They never saw you weeping and praying over their heart's condition. I tell you, the most touching memory of my childhood is coming into the house from playing outside and hearing my dad's voice talking loudly with someone. So I crept in quietly to see who he was talking with. And he was in his bedroom, on his knees, by his bed. And I listened as he pleaded with Jesus to touch Ray's heart, to change Ray, to take his anger away to raise him up to be a pastor. I listen to my daddy pray for me. Have your children heard you crying aloud for their lives like my daddy cried aloud for mine? I know that the ministry that I 
come and share with you is largely because of my father's prayers, of his intercession for me. And Jesus, honoring those prayers, kept chasing after me until I gave up and he caught me. And his banner over me is love. Are you praying that way? With tears? Brokenness? For your children? Or are you too busy? Too busy providing them all of the physical attractions that you desire. I see how some dress their children the finest of clothes, fancy clothes, prideful clothes. Do you think that little one is going to grow up humble of heart? Or do you think they're going to grow up only becoming more and more steadfast in their pride and demanding that they be the little princes to everyone, that they are entitled because their daddies are mommy's little princes. Really? Really? Do you think that child is not being shaped today by the way you treat that child? Do you show the definite goal of winning the heart of Jesus Christ, of heaven? Do you show the definite goal, totally focused? I don't care to please other people. I don't care to be like the world. I don't care to gain all the gold and silver. I instead have a goal of gaining the heart of Jesus Christ. Are you casual about this? When you have time, do you focus on Jesus, and the rest of the time you focus on all the other things that are important to you? Do you really want Jesus? Or is this some kind of emotional, religious, feel-good deal for you. He says, I strictly control my body. I make it ready to serve. Just in any way, having preached to others, I myself may become disqualified. That's heavy on my heart. That I not come and preach with sober words to you. And then go from this room with this mic and live a casual life. Some people say, Pastor, you're so intense. Well, that's not my intention. My intention is to go to heaven. My intention is to love Jesus and my brothers and my sisters. My intention is to love you and to speak to you in such a manner that you will stop. You will stop all the noise, all the fighting. You will stop 
all the worldly gaming. You'll stop the video games. You'll lay aside the sports. You will focus on Jesus and get serious with me about seeking after him with all of your heart. Now in chapter 10, he begins, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. That's why I come and teach. I don't want you to be ignorant and think that you can go to heaven and still walk in your sin, that you can't lose your salvation. These lying teachings have spread across the world. It was the devil who said to Adam and Eve, You will surely not die, but your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God's. So the modern preacher comes and he says to you, You will not surely die if you say, I serve Jesus. If you say, I accept Jesus, you will not surely die. He's lying. He's lying. The devil said you could sin, you could disobey God, and still be saved. That's what the lying doctrines teach today. One man, very upset with me because I won't return his phone calls. He complains about this to everyone he can. Why won't I return his phone calls? Because he's a meth head. He's a drug addict. And he believes that God loves him unconditionally and that he does not have to give up his drugs in order to be saved. He believes he's a Christian on his way to heaven. He cannot be lost because he believes in eternal security. You see why I won't return his phone calls. Because the phone calls devolve into his screaming at me. He does not want to hear that he must give up his drugs if he's going to follow Jesus. I do not want you to be ignorant that our forefathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses by the cloud and by the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food And they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock following them. Now the rock was the Christ. So he's saying, let's go back and look at the example of the children of Israel. They're brought out of Egypt and they pass through the Red Sea. And by passing through the Red Sea, he says they were baptized into Moses. 
and then they ate the same spiritual food. They were baptized into the law, and then they ate the spiritual food, and they drank the spiritual water, water flowing from the rock, the manna falling from heaven, both symbols of the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus. And Paul says that rock, that was Jesus Christ in the desert with the children of Israel. But look at verse 5. But God was not well pleased with most of them, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples for us not to be passionate with reference to evil things as they were also passionate. This is what my heart cries for you today. What is it that you're passionate about? You know, there's a a very simple truth. That what you love is what you will give everything for. You will follow your love. You will follow your passion. If your passion is fishing, you'll buy that fishing boat and you'll spend every available moment out on that fishing boat. If your passion is bicycling, every moment you have, you will be out bicycling. If your passion is golf, that's where we'll find you on the course. If your passion is working and earning money, that's where we'll find you. You will go where your passion is. So when people say to me, Pastor, I can't come on Tuesday night to prayer meeting. Oh. You have a passion for something else and much less passion for prayer. I understand. When someone says to me, Pastor, I can't be in church this Sunday. I have to work. Oh, I understand. Your passion is to earn money, not to be in the house of God. For some of you, your passion is sitting in front of the television. And you grow fat and heavy and sleek. Sitting by the hour, watching your football games. That's where your passion is. You will follow your passion. That's a law of life. What we love most. That's where our treasure is. Whatever we love, that's where we will go. That's what we will think about. That's what will consume us. That's what our focus will be. So some people have a passion for collecting things. Salt shakers, stamps, coins, cars, women. 
want to collect something. To fill that empty hole in their heart that was only designed to be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I saying it's wrong to have a hobby? No. No. Unless it's the passion of your heart and takes time from your pursuit of Jesus and eternal life and heaven. Then it becomes a snare and a trap. Let me read it for you. Now these things become our examples for us not to be passionate with reference to evil things as they were also passionate. You must not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and then rose up to play. An idolater is a person who has something more important, a greater love in his heart than for Jesus Christ. That thing is idolatry. And the Apostle Paul, in writing this to the Corinthians, is saying, if you put anything ahead of Jesus Christ in your time commitment, in your focus, in your thinking, If you put anything ahead of Jesus Christ, it is an idol to you, and it will cause you to die in the wilderness, and you will never enter the Cana land. It says, Neither may we practice sexual immorality, as some of them did, and they fell in one day. 23,000. I'm shocked as I speak with young married couples. The constant tension of will my husband cheat on me? Or will my wife cheat on me? We live in a day of free sexuality, of swingers, of threesomes, of orgies. Watching in movies, reading about it, and finally saying, let's try it. We live in a day when sexuality has become homosexuality, lesbianism. Or as one precious young woman said to me, I'm not a homosexual. I'm not a lesbian. I'm a metasex. I said, what is that? She said, I just like flesh. It satisfies me. We live in a day when sex is looked upon as something that I consume, not something between a husband and wife that is sacred and special. First, for the creation of a child. And secondly, as an expression of the deepest heart love that is possible between two human beings. But the government has stepped in and said, we're God. 
and we have the power to decide that marriage is between two men or two women. Did they invent marriage? No. God invented marriage, and God has not changed. You can have any kind of legal agreement between two people, share expenses, make out a will to the other person. That's not marriage. Marriage is the coming together of a man and a woman in Jesus Christ, in covenant one with another, as a symbol of Christ in the church. We're in trouble. Divorce is rampant. Men and women are sexual predators, seeking whom they may devour. And if you're caught up in this, you begin going to the strip clubs. You begin going to the erotic massage parlors. You are sinning against God, and you are sinning against your own life and your heart, and you will bring utter destruction upon yourself. Marriage is sacred. If you're married, consider very carefully how you treat your wife or how you treat your husband. It is sacred. I was sitting last night beside a couple. Their table was beside mine at a Valentine dinner. I was by myself. And a number of the staff came and greeted me. And they said to me, Everyone seems to know you here. Do you come here often? I said, Yes. This is part of home for me. And then I explained that my wife had died and that I had chosen not to cook at home, but had decided instead that I would eat out. And then I looked at them, this elderly couple, and I said to them, Mr., Your wife is beautiful, the most beautiful woman in all of the world for your heart and your eyes. Treat her with great respect and great care, for when she's gone, she's gone. So thank you for bringing her to a Valentine's dinner. Treasure her now. The woman reached out and grabbed my arm. They both sat with tears flowing down their face. And he said very tenderly to his wife, I do love you. It was very special. They've had many, many years together. They've been through some very difficult times together, like all couples. But he looked at her tenderly and said, I love you. 
Those must have been sweet words to her ears as the tears flowed down her face. The children of Israel threw off all restraint. They wanted to satisfy the lust of their heart by using another human being as a piece of meat. And the Lord was angry. And if you're behaving in this way, if you're an adulterer, if you're a fornicator, if you're in pornography, you're playing with fire. And you're on the edge of total destruction. Stop. Stop. Cut it off. Strive. Paul goes on. Neither may we tempt the Christ, as also some of them tempted and perished by the serpents. What does it mean to tempt God? Remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? He told the devil, don't tempt the Lord. What he means is, don't take a position that says, I don't see God doing anything for me. Is God even here? If there's a God, why is he he letting this happen? If there's a God, why doesn't he answer me? God, if you're real, show up. That's tempting God. I did that many years ago. And the Lord came and rebuked me and said, Stop. No. Don't do it again. You see, I've learned the most precious truth that God is not a God who is far away, He's a God who's very close. He sees the tears and the brokenness. He hears the heart cry. Nothing gets past Jesus. He sees it all. And he's testing your heart to know what's in it. He wants to know if you don't get what you want, will you turn aside? Will you say it's useless to serve God? I urge you, read carefully the full book of Malachi, where they were saying, it doesn't make any difference. We do all of this and God does nothing. They were tempting God. And God was silent for the next 400 years. God can outlast you, brother, sister. Stop your demands on Jesus. Stop tempting him by asking, are you among us or not? That's wickedness. He's here. He hears. He sees. He knows. 
submit yourself unto God. Humble your heart. Humble your heart before God. Stop the passionate race after everything but Jesus. Stop the casualness. Stop meandering through life as though it were your bowl of cherries. You'll just end up with the pits anyway. Only Jesus can satisfy the cry of our hearts. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart to be loved or to love. All things are in his hands. He sets the times and the dates. He determines who will live and who will die. He is God. Don't grow impatient with God. Repent. Don't turn aside to something else because God doesn't show up when you want him to. Seek his face. Run the race. He continues. You must not even grumble. As also some of them grumbled. And they perished by the destroyer. Please. God hates a grumbler. Nothing will make God angrier faster than for his children to grumble about their circumstances. To grumble about the car they drive or grumble about their husband or their wife or grumble, grumble, grumble. Nothing is good enough for you. Stop. You're making God angry with you. And the blessings he's already given you will be removed if you continue to grumble. (coughs) Grumbling is probably one of the most expensive things you can do. It sours your heart, and it sours God's heart toward you. So in all things, give praise to Jesus. Worship him. Honor him. In the most painful of circumstances, lift up your hands. Lift up your heart. And honor the name of Jesus. He continues. This is verse 11. Now all these things were happening to those persons as examples. And it was written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages come. The end of the ages has come upon us. War is ready to break out, volcanoes, crazy weather, every sign of Matthew 24 is being fulfilled. Jesus is coming again quickly. We're at the end of the age. Now these people, the children of Israel who did these things, 
who were not serious about Jesus, about God. Almost all of them died in the desert. Now he's speaking here of children of Israel. He could just as well have been speaking about the modern church in America. If there is not a dramatic shift in the heart of God's people in America, most of them will die and never see the shores of heaven above. They will instead find themselves in hell. And with great groaning and crying and gnashing of teeth, they're going to say, why? Why? Look what I did. I was in church every week. I gave my tithes and offerings. Why is this happening to me? Because your first passion was not Jesus. Your first passion was the world. Your first passion was your self-indulgence, your physical comfort, your vacations, your traveling, your work, your relationships, taking care of your kids, the responsibilities of life. They all came and they choked out your life in Jesus Christ. So the bottom line, bottom line, you never really gave yourself to Jesus. All you could do was grumble, 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 seek your own pleasure, be concerned about those things that you loved. Remember, What you're passionate about is where your heart will be. We follow after what we love. That's where our heart is. And if that's not Jesus, you'll be swept away even as the children of Israel were swept away. You see, today, why I needed to come and speak with you about these issues, and I'm not finished. We're going to continue in the coming days on this issue. There has to come a recognition of not being on the right track with Jesus, and it's not going to be a minor adjustment. It's going to be a major change in your life where you begin to Pour over the scriptures where you begin to spend hours reading and praying and seeking his face. You may have to do as I have to do. You may have to take a vacation week or two weeks and do a water fast and just seek his face. I have so many things that I need to do, so many people who need help. But above and beyond all of that, I seek Jesus. And then I seek to minister in the name of Jesus, not out of my flesh, but out of the Spirit. Almighty God, 
I'm asking, please, would you bring a change? And every person who's listening, would you up the ante on their life? Would you up the urgency in their heart? Would you call them to get serious with you and to repent of the passion for anything of this world, the flesh or the devil? Lord, come with power and deliver your people. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Keeper of eternity